Hello, my friends. Today, we're talking to Jason, founder and CTO of Network Decode. And we discuss how Jason is using open source projects to drive innovation in their space, why being public about their work brought the company's success as a startup, and how the mindset of value-based engineering prevents over-analysis. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So what's your story? How did you get to where you are today? For myself, I started in uh, traditional IT, um, you know, very traditional network engineering, most common company there, still Cisco systems, you know, routers, switches, like that sort of industry. And right out of right out of college, and then I moved over from IT to work for Cisco um, for a couple of years. Spent a lot of time doing technical sales. Again, you know, looking back at it, I'll say like the traditional uh, network design, router switcher switches, firewall security, that type of thing. But I would say for me, like the big, you know, the big, um, you know, point the transition to to really where I am now is going back to probably 2000, like 10, 11, 12. And, you know, similar to you, I sort of, I feel like I had two jobs at the time. I had my day job, you know, doing what I would call traditional networking. And I became like obsessed on the future of networking and started a personal blog. And at the, at the time, it was sort of like blog at night, lab at night, sort of experiments, you know, keep learning. And that sort of was all about uh, network automation. Right. When we look at the industry, it was very archaic, still is uh, a lot of manual operations, you know, thousands of devices, these large organizations. And it was like aha moments went off. It was like, look, DevOps is a thing. DevOps is really focused on apps and systems. Networking has the same problems. And, and so, you know, blog turned into speaking at conferences and it just recognized sort of like the problem was massive and global. And I would say for me in 2014, I made the decision to leave where I was to start um, a business called Network to Code. And you know, fast forward over the years, we've grown tremendously, but you know, the, the focus and the mission hasn't changed. It's really just all about you know how to help how to help our clients operationalize uh, their network. So my background, I often joke, you know, we've we've lived the pain of these manual networking changes and logging into devices, and and now you know we're a company full of passionate uh, passionate folks and just you know solving these problems with our clients. So to that point of pain, like what? First of all, who do you sell to? And then what's the pain that they're experiencing and, and they start seeking out a solution like yours? Yeah, so for you know, for us day to day, you know, there's you know four or five probably key verticals in terms of profiles. I would say, you know, common ones, financials and pharmas, uh, even higher ed, you know, you know, universities, things like that, even retail organizations. I would say use cases are often horizontal in terms of in terms of like trying to look at uh, network automation. You know, some of the, you know, in terms of like the why might be a bit more unique, but around things like compliance uh, and just verifying, you know, devices and configurations are, are same and, you know, according to standard, you know, it's some of these like basic things or doing upgrades, right? You look at some of these organizations, you know, there are for one, a plethora of devices, a number of different vendors and technologies, and it's grown organically over the past 20, 20 years. So like the day-to-day kind of go back from day one, this sort of new requirements came in, deploy more devices. And at the time, you know, a lot of these devices only had a CLI or a command line interface. 
And so uh, hardcore network engineers from like the 90s and 2000s, even to today, it's really, they, they know their stuff, but all they were given were, were device by device management. And, and so I'll, I'll give the example in terms of making it more analogous to a wider scale, like the day-to-day of an individual like us at home. A lot of us at home right now, almost everybody has home routers. And to manage a home router, you put the IP address in your web browser, you log in, you make a change, and you're good. You know, imagine doing that for your block or your city or your state. Manage it the same way. Like you, like you would literally go crazy. And then you look at organizations, if it's financial institutions that have thousands of sites, hundreds of sites, there's thousands of devices. And so their network engineers today are are still majority of the time logging into each device to either A, make a change, uh, maybe gather data, uh, verify something. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's a lot of manual interactions and also like manual verification to, to think about what, what should be on the device. Right? Thousands of devices, all, all they've had is what is running presently but nothing to baseline it against compared to. So the focus is really around those those areas and you know, common use cases across those those verticals. But you know, it could be you know, predictability, reliability is big. A lot of human error on making changes for things like that. Um, you know, so it's just really trying to transfer from that device by device uh, manual touch point with infrastructure. And for us, it's really trying to embrace like DevOps um, processes, tools, and tech, but applying it to the networking domain. Uh, right now. Well, now that makes your logo make more sense for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You know, there's looking at the company name of Network 2 Code. It's very, you know, it's Pythonic in terms of the greater than signs. For those who aren't aware, it's sort of greater than sign, greater than sign, greater than sign. And like, like a Python shell, interactive shell environment, Network.2 Code. You know, that's one of the things that I'm, you know, proud of to have a, have a pretty slick logo like that. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no arguments in there, though. I want to know what's going to go in there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. So I'm going to tell you my basic understanding of it and you tell me how I'm wrong. So it sounds like you take all these devices and you sort of build a network out of them so you can make a change and it deploys across all the devices versus having to go into each device. Yeah, so similar. similar. Yeah, I would say basically our approach to think about it is like we definitely want to simplify the way changes are made, but really automation in general. And I point that out because like change management is the most commonly talked about one. But if you want to verify your devices are operating as expected or they're configured as expected, like it's really about going to the device, getting the data, parsing through it, and you know, getting a report as an example. But in general, our our overall philosophy that we sort of work with our clients on a daily basis is really having a first off, having a data first approach in terms of I was saying earlier that the only thing engineers have had over the years is what's running currently. But when you think about what should it be, our approach is to first, let's define, we call it the intent, the desired state for it into your database, call it source of truth in our, in our domain, and have that data be modeled agnostically, right? So if you are using a multi-vendor environment, routers, firewalls, doesn't clouds, doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter sort of what you're using, but to start thinking about it in a more agnostic manner, really like decoupling the data from maybe syntax, right? To store the intent in this database, and then based on requirements and customers, use uh, a tool or set of tools to fetch that data and generate API calls or configuration commands to go down to the device. So it's sort of like the collection of these systems together to create architecture is, is used to manage the network more like a system 
And then even doing that, if you need a one-off change, great, but it allows it allows users to thinking about services. Yeah, you know, they want to apply a change maybe to Asia Pac or maybe to US. And it really allows you know the flexibility to do that. But I would say one of the biggest changes that we're seeing now is that idea of you know source of truth and intent first. Really think through the data, agnostic from the vendors, because in this in this industry, in the networking world, a lot of engineers first like think about like what commands they're going to configure on the device, really low, really low level, versus let's think about like the design and the data. Then it'll just become like a byproduct to figure out how to generate the right commands or API calls to uh, implement you know whatever is needed on on the network. That's pretty cool. It reminds me a lot of the infrastructure as code movement. That's what's going off in my head when you're describing it. This, I think that's like the closest thing I'm connecting it with. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what it is. It's funny you bring up the logo earlier. You know, my first choice for the company name was actually Network as Code. And I uh, reached out. To, I really wanted the domain to match. And Neverfest Code was already purchased by by somebody else. I tried to get it. They wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't give it up. So Network Code was was secondary. But similar philosophies, right? It could be even when you're storing your your data, it could be YAML files, right? It's the most commonly thing when you look at IAC, even N NAC, and then if it gets to a certain point in scale. Yeah, you need more structured models and things like that. So searching truth for certain pieces of data, but it could be YAML files, JSON files, and things like that, storage repositories, pipelines. It's really bringing like that overall approach that you know has really been probably tried, true, and proven right in other technology domains in uh, in the network space, which has been amazing to see. Because the one part that's really unique is over the past, I would say, you know, five to eight years. Like the idea of code, pipelines, development, all these things are brand new to network space. So, you know, there's now new certifications, you know, there's new training classes across, across the industry. And, uh, it's really cool to see that a lot of engineers are transforming their careers, right? Going from like network engineer to network automation engineer, you know, it's just great to see another parallel to use. I was fortunate enough to be a co-author of a book a couple of years ago that really was sort of trying to trying to you know drive home these concepts, right? To empower the network engineer of the future. It was an O'Reilly book called Network Programmability and Automation. You know, second edition's coming out, it's coming out next year. The co-workers taking the reins on from uh, you know, from myself um, in that book. But it's really just, you know, trying to leverage concepts and principles in the DevOps space, right? IAC space in the networking domain. And again, we'll just call you call that net DevOps, sort of you know our little uh, spin on things in the industry. What animal did you have sketched on the front of your O'Reilly book? Alligator. You know, alligator. Back, I didn't know that offhand. It was already handy. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm ninety nine point nine nine percent sure <laughs> it was the it was the alligator, a blue blue alligator. Yeah. If you could have had any animal, which would it be? Man, that is a tough one. I probably would say. I think about sort of like what we're doing with transformation of careers and the industry going fast. You know, what well, we are going, we are going slow, but I would say to really emphasize that changes, changes needed. I don't know. I'd probably say maybe a cheetah, a cheetah or a leopard to be able to, to go, yeah, to go fast. There you go. Yeah. I like it. I like that. <laughs> or you, or you could go, you could go speed, right? Cheetah leopard, or mm-hmm. you could go like, transformation like chameleon 
right? You can do that. That was my second. I was going to say, I was going to say, but I didn't want to revert back to where, where you were. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how are you growing this company? Is it network engineers that are using an open source tool and then they find your company and you solve some problem with them or are you selling in to like the executive team? Like what, what's happening? How are people getting involved with your product? Yeah. So yeah, good question. Uh, so I would say it's interesting so as a business, this is what makes us a really, really unique is we are a services based business. And I always, I always love emphasizing that because, you know, we're consultative, right? You're trying to go in there and consult, look at problems, requirements and build solutions. But we do also have open source software that, you know, we build and maintain and contribute back to other projects that, that aren't, aren't sort of uh, the companies. And it's important because you know, we have, you know, the largest project that we have and maintain publicly is called uh, Novelbot as a search of truth, this data platform I was mentioning earlier. And, you know, it's becoming really a foundation to really drive automation. But the great thing is it's open source, it's free. So it's not a product that, that we sell, uh, but at the same time. So, you know, it's sort of, we look at the acceleration of what we can do for, for um, customers. And then, you know, I would say even for me, um, you know, for me personally, going back through to the company, like we're very rooted in sort of like community, open source, and really, you know, at the end of the day, I think back to the early days of, of recognizing the gaps in the industry. So, you know, for us, you know, we at this point probably have a couple dozen open source projects that are, are really kind of driving the way across the industry. And that's sort of like the core of who we are. And a lot of these pieces of software we are using in our projects to, to really drive customer uh, adoption and engagement. The great, the great thing is like the software itself is free. So customers, or I should say users, don't have to engage with us at all, right? If they have the skills and the experience to go to go download and use, great. And give us the feedback, open up issues on GitHub, drive the direction of the community, and it makes it a win-win. It makes it a win-win for, I would say, those who have smaller teams, they have the skills, but larger organizations, you know, in general, there's there, there needs to be help around the adoption of technology or the absorption, rolling out a global, you know, global, uh, global scale. And the great thing, again, the great thing is mentioning the community in terms of uh, our team. You know, we've hired we've hired uh, a lot of people that have been very passionate about the community before they even joined, and even a lot of you know a lot of customers have found us right just doing open source software, speaking engagements at conferences and things like that. It really does make us uh, unique, bringing it back to the point of, you know, we see ourselves as sort of like this tech-enabled services company where, you know, software and tech is free, but it really does like power power um, a lot of, you know, a lot of architectures that we employ and deploy on a daily basis. Well, that's cool. So this, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's a, I'm going to try. Natobot? How, what is this? Notobot. It's almost like... Like the way I think about it, and we don't even emphasize this a lot, but Nautilbot is, you can think about it as a network automation bot. So it's just Nautilbot. Transformers was Autobot, put the N in front, and it's it's Nautilbot. Network Autobot. Right. Now that you say that, it makes sense. And that's the tool. Yeah, yeah. It's an open source project that at its core is a source of truth data platform. So it's sort of the intended state. And the nice thing is we sort of you know, built this ecosystem of apps around it. And I just give like a smartphone analogy in the sense that, 
hey, our smartphone is a smartphone at its core, it's a phone, but you also have these high productivity apps on top of it that are arguably more valuable than the you know phone itself, quote unquote. And so for and so for uh, so for us, the core is the data itself. Right. And once this data is stored, you can, you can do interesting things around driving automation. And so there's a lot, a lot of apps that are being built around Autobot to do things like upgrades, compliance and, you know, firewall automation and things like that. Again, it really makes it more unique because for us, every, every customer is different and we have customers and I should say uh, community uh, adopters and users that only use it for the data platform itself, source of truth. But we also have uh, a lot of customers and adopters that like the platform approach to really doing your compliance and upgrades and things like that, you know, in a all-in-one platform. So it kind of has the best of both worlds where, look, really choose what's best for, for your environment. And it has, it has flexibility, again, based on size and scale and skills and, and all these things that you know, make a lot of enterprises drive the requirements, right? Got it. I'm actually kind of curious because I was talking with this company called Permit.io and they allowed developers to just like insert permissions, infrastructure into their work, it saves time and whatnot. But like, does your product at all cross with password or identity systems? Or is it just like after authentication and then it's just running commands? Yeah, it's a good question. There is some integrations with platforms like HashiCorp Vault for secrets management and things like that. A number of others too, the AWS Secrets Manager. And what's interesting is Nautobot itself as a source of truth, you know, we really want to kind of be out of the game of storing secrets and, and, and that, that sort of thing, because, you know, you know, sort of, of all the requirements, right, large enterprises and a lot of them already have standards tools that are deployed. And so, you know, we always look to, to be honest, have to have a flexible approach with creating providers and adapters, right, to these common common tools. And so, in our so in our space in, in the networking domain, you know, if you were automating devices, then the inventory and things like that is stored in not about the source of truth, but it allows users to be able to fetch the credentials and the secrets from those systems dynamically. To be able to to store in a secure manner, you know, without duplicating efforts and having customers have yet another place to store store secrets. So there are there are secrets integrations and things like that. SSO integrations for single sign on to the app itself, um, and then within the app, yeah, there's lots of permissions to be able to slice and dice. You want you know level one, two, three, four people to only see certain things. So yeah, definitely a lot that can be done from a security uh, perspective within the platform itself. What's one thing that you can't automate, but you wish you could? Can't be revenue generation. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, uh, I, I feel like I'll take something that exists today. It's possible, but I really wish there was more standards around it for, in a multi-vendor fashion. It's just uh, zero-touch um, provisioning, meaning you're deploying a new site or you know, I'll say a new data center. I'll say a new site. That has a couple of firewalls, a couple of routers, a couple of switches, a couple of wireless devices. And it is a little bit rare to have everything come from the same vendor. And even if it does, to have all those devices integrate to the same like zero touch platform. And there's been some stabs at some open source work to be able to say, hey, this is like a zero touch multi vendor server. Um, so it's possible, but it, it's, it's not as possible 
seamless as it could be if the industry had had uh, you know a little bit more you know standards and and you know working together looking at boot processes and fetching uh, IP addresses and and so forth because I know a lot of the work that we do you know, even in brownfield automation you know they're already booted and so forth but when you're looking at single vendor automation ZTP if you will zero touch a bit easier but when you kind of go to this three or four vendors in a single site being able to bootstrap from ground ground zero it would be a, a great thing if, if that would fall asleep you know from uh, unboxing it to racking and sacking it and, and having everything uh, you know come up okay that makes sense right there's always rough spots that need to be smoothed out and it likely will if you're having this pain point in the future it will is that a problem you're looking to solve or are you focused in another area what's what's next for you yeah, that's a good question. I would say, you know, we have ways around that right now that we've implemented and it could be through third party devices, um, out of band servers and things like that to be able to get them plugged in. Yeah, so there, there are, there are ways around it. You know, it's more or less like the ideal, the ideal way not to have dependencies. You know, I would say for us, as we continue to, uh, to grow, you know, continuously, you know, if, if, I, if I say two things, right, you know, what makes us unique is we have services offerings, and then we have lots of open source software that we continue to build and maintain. And, you know, we're building both out, right? I mentioned the services arm, you know, we think about whatever we can do to streamline adoption, right? Turnkey services, annual, you know, sort of annual checkups, monthly checkups, uh, quarterly, you know, quarterly reviews with our, with our clients, you know, making sure we're in lockstep with their journey architecturally, technically, you know, all the, all the above. And I would say with a lot of the software, yeah, look, we're continuously uh, investing in the open source space around Autobot, uh, this platform. It's, you know, as a, as a source of truth, the goal is to model the network. And right now you can model things like devices and interfaces and VLANs. We're actually can, you can model a lot, but as we look forward, we want to continue to expand those types of models. And if we get deeper in the weeds in the networking space, we have routing protocols, right? Things like that, VPNs and wireless topologies, cloud networks. And so really the goal is to continue to build out those models so that way you know, no matter the cloud, no matter the networking architecture you're chosen, you know, clients and again, open source community can continue to store their data in this vendor agnostic way. And then it's up to them to, to deploy the automation around it to really fetch that data and drive their networks. Are you hiring currently? Yeah, always, always up and to the right. That's, uh, yeah, that's the only way. We have a few open recs now and, yeah, we've hired a lot uh, this past, you know, look, the past eight years, it's been, you know, it's been like a rocket ship. But yeah, we continue to uh, to grow in this in this still early, early market. Everyone from leaders, consultants, engineers, developers, really all the above. So anybody listening, if they're in the, um, you know, IT space, looking, looking at the intersection of networking and DevOps, then uh, check us out. You have a careers page, I'm assuming. Yep, yep. Networkingcode.com. And then you'll see in the top right sort of uh, about us and go to careers uh, from there and kind of see the open uh, open job works. So I want to talk a little bit about leadership. From what I understood about your, your story, you worked at some companies, you did a couple different things, and then you started a company. 99% mm -hmm. of businesses fail. This was your first company you started. Why did it succeed? 
Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great question. You know, I think you know, looking back at it, there's a, a lot of good things. You know, went went our way. I can't say there wasn't a little bit a little bit of luck, luck you know, luck along the way. But I'll say, I think what really helped is is really being public about the work that I started even before starting the company during the start and even through. And that's when we always talk about our roots being in the community and the open source space. And, you know, that was really true for the, for the business. And I think just being transparent with who we are and what we're doing, it's, it's, uh, you know, really uh, helped because, because it's allowed us to continue to spread the word about automation. And for us, it's really, it's all about like that industry transformation from industry at large, organizations and individual, like really people changing their careers. And that's always been so top of mind. And so had a lot of great conversations over um, the years with people and organizations. I think we we've continued to just to you know, give back to the industry. And I feel like indirectly that's helped a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount. And, you know, I would say find great partners. You know, I would say in the beginning, was, you know, there was time where it was just me, but fortunate enough to find uh, great partners that believe in the mission. Um, and that sort of continued to snowball to continue to find even more passionate people, great people, talented people. And, you know, look, we have, you know, we're selling services, we have open source software, but I would say as our business, as our people are, you know, second, second to none. I would say in our, in our space, really, I don't think there's any other company in the world that's a customer facing organization that has more talent than we do in our domain. I think like the fan companies of the world, like the Facebooks and the Amazons and the Googles, I think, you know, sure, they have lots of network automation engineers and developers. But, you know, when you look at a lot of those companies are closed in terms of like they can't really talk about what they're working on. And you've seen people sort of be, Open source advocates join one of those companies and they go quiet. I, I would say, I would say for us, you know, people, the people really have, you know, of course that we have hired have, have no doubt really, you know, shaped, uh, shaped who we are and, and where we're, uh, where we're going in the future. As a founder, you know, things go up and down as it goes up. Right. And there's always points where like you want to give up or there's doubt and that, that just happens to everybody. It's a, it's a human thing. But how did how do you manage that? Like when that happens to you, and you've got like obstacles around you, and and how do you respond to that? Yeah, it's remember what's important. Yeah, you know, it's remembering you know why you know why we're here, and you know just always you know bring it back to sort of like the mission that we're on to transform the industry. You know, especially internal. Yeah, there, there's no doubt there's there's ups and downs, but when we look at like really as a smaller business, the impact that we've had across the industry. It's it's energizing, right? To really think about that as a smaller business, the smaller the teams with the teams within the business and the company and the individuals are having such a big impact across the world. And I think it's always good to take a step back, reflect on that, emphasize it. And we don't probably don't do it, don't do it enough. But I think like that's sort of what what you know we're thinking about day to day to help get through, you know, those uh, you know, those hurdles and uh, the bottlenecks. I would say also throw in there, you know, when we look, when I look at internal uh, conversations, projects, and some of these things is reminding people not to overanalyze things. It's driving the ball forward, right? Making a decision is, is better than not making a decision. And, and really, I would say what also helps is, is sort of 
customer empathy. You know, I love thinking about sort of, you know, customer, you know, sort of what is the customer thinking and, and talk to them about it because, you know, it's just at the end of the day, like, that's what is so important is to understand that like we're not building software and services for us, right? It truly is for other people um, in the open source space, you know, the community and, and our customers. You know, just remembering that just, it just really helps remember that, you know, we are delivering a service uh, and technology for for people literally all around the world. When I read your bio, something stood out to me. You had this quote in there that says, obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off the goal. And for me, when I read that, I was, I copied and pasted that. I'm saving this, you know, (laughs) that's like a beautiful little nugget. And I have never heard it before. And so you get the award for like bringing that into my life. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that one. I think it might've been like in high school, I started to really think about it frequently. I'll never forget when in high school to college, I used to use that, that quote on my aim profile. An AOL and Messenger. Oh, yeah. And that was sort of my, my go-to, my go-to quote. So 20, 20 plus years in the making, uh, no doubt, right? I would say everyone's got to be thinking about that goal. It, really, it is so easy to get caught up in the leaves and the trees and the forest, but you know, keep your eyes set on the bigger picture. And I think it helps, it helps tremendously. I got to ask, what was your aim handle? <laughs> 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 oh, oh, you know, for a second, I was going to say it was my current, my current handle on things, but it wasn't. My current aim handle was uh, JRE Rock. Okay. So it's my initials, JRE and, and Rock. Don't know why I chose Rock, but I, I, I created it in seventh grade. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I love that too. Like if you're checking out someplace, you'll often hear people give an email that's like the email they created in middle school. It's like mm-hmm. peer leader 97 or whatever. That's like a beautiful part of life. Hearing people's past usernames or their old, their first emails and things like that. Totally. You're an executive now. What's your email? Oh, it was uh, Jerry Rock at yeah. AOL.com. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's great. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. So I'm always looking on how to bring advice mm-hmm. to the audience. And one thing that we've, we've gotten a couple times is people asking when you're interviewing someone for a position and the limited time that you have available with them, how do you determine if they're a good fit or not? Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, I know on our side, everyone has their own, their own angle. And uh, we're a technology organization, so technology is, is a part of it. You know, we'll do technical challenges, hands-on challenges. But I would say as we continue to grow, I would say what we're looking for at the end of the day, and for me personally, it's sort of, it really is like attitude, attitude and aptitude and you know, like the thought process around solution building. Right. So it's less about what, you know, what can you do maybe in uh, today? But I would say it, it's really, you know, questions around is around aptitude and attitude. You know, I think it's good, you know, being, you know, being a good person, being able to uh, everything from having a sense of urgency, some of these like soft skills type, you know, type things that really differentiate, um, you know, people. Yeah, that's some of the things that we look for. I'll say an example of some of the things that come up in, I would say, unique ways is, you know, when I mentioned uh, sort of even like solution building and you know, as a client-facing organization, because you, know, you, you could have stellar stellar engineers that want to like build, 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 but at the same time, it could be more than a customer needs. And I think for us, like as a service business, you have, you have to have like the fine line of recognizing that fact 
And even this morning, actually, I don't know how I came across this. I think it was on, on maybe LinkedIn, but I literally just watched it this morning. But it was, have you ever seen somebody draw Spider-Man in three different time intervals? Yeah, I, think I have one, seen that one. Yeah, the one that I saw today, it was 10 seconds, one minute, and 10 minutes. And so it's like, you know, as engineers at heart, oftentimes, like, you want to you wanna really do your, you know, sort of like the best engineering of it. So it's like the 10, the 10 minute, the 10 minute drawing. And I would say 10 second sloppy, obviously we shouldn't be doing sort of like 10 second engineering. The one minute for Spider-Man wasn't, wasn't terrible. I feel like if there would have been in this example, literally a, a two to a four minute version of Spider-Man that would have met all requirements, color schemes, style, like it would have, it would have hit at home. So I would say like interviewing, interviewing for, you know, for us is really like thinking through that, that mindset sort of where consulting and technology sort of merge, be able to understand, you know, does this meet requirements, provide scale, provide flexibility, like without having to build all, you know, to over-engineer potentially and build, build everything in the 1.0 or what should be the MVP. And, you know, a lot of these, again, soft skills are sort of what we're all, all looking for as we, uh, as we hire. It's almost a trap you can't avoid, right? So for me, when you start building stuff, it's addictive. And mm-hmm. it's like, I feel like a caveman that just made fire. It's like, whoa, I, I did that. I affected the, the world. And then you want to build something and then you think it's cool. And then you want to build it and more complicated, but you have to sort of like fall out of love with it in one sense. And then make sure that you're checking that whoever's paying you to do this or whatever value you're bringing to the marketplace that you have to sort of put them in front of it and then just figure out how to serve them. And for me, you know, going through that process of building something cool and then figuring out how to make money with it and then realizing where focus needs to be seems to be, I haven't met people that are so great, they skip all of that, right? That tends to be a path people go through. Yeah. And so coaching them through that is something that I've, I've found to be a part of the job. Yeah, totally. There was an exercise that I did years ago in a different job and, and it was actually non-development related, but it's still very similar. There's like value-based engineering. And you know, this is where as a small business owner, you know, from, you know, where you were, you know, where I was, and if I was continuing to grow, like this, this mindset can't, can't leave us because like, you have to be able to understand how do you maximize value for, for your customers, for your, for your clients. And it's not by over-engineering, but it really is understanding sort of the feature developments, what customers are really looking for and asking for and meeting those requirements. And I would say internally, sort of like how it's built, the internals, and I was like the guts of the application. It's a, it's a different animal. And you know, I read a lot around how uh, large organization like the Google of the world does like code reviews. It's okay to leave code in there to allow a newer employee to issue a pull request to improve that that you know that part of the code base. It doesn't have to be pristine. Doesn't have to be perfect. But we have to be able to deliver, right? Deliver value to the adopters of the technology or the application. That's super exciting, obviously. When you, whenever you build something and do a demo for a user, anything from enterprise app to you know smartphone app, whatever it is, when you see those users using it, you know, it makes you makes you feel pretty, uh, you know, pretty good that they're they're consuming the value out of uh, you know whatever's been built. What? As the coolest customer that you you've had, and you don't have to say their name. What was personally cool for you? Like I've had customers that like are big logos, and like it was kind of cool. Like it was like, oh, I got to work with them. Like, what's one of the 
the areas? Like, was it a cybersecurity company, government type stuff? What was the cool one for you? Yeah, I would say I'll pick I'll pick two. It's always hard for me to pick. You know the you know the one one. You know we have uh, we've we've had and have had uh, very large projects with some of the biggest financials um, in in the world. So I think and that started you know when we were fairly small. So you know seeing that seeing that grow has been uh, rewarding um, personally and for for the business. And I look at sort of it from the different angle of cool tech, uh, interesting use cases, uh, good environment, you know, snazzy office space, things like that. There was one that was a sports league, a larger, larger national based sports league. And we were at a, at a, at a conference at a bar in California after we did a deployment. And a lot of what we do, we'll always talk about simplifying the consumption of the network. And one thing we do often is chat ops. Right, is implementing chat. So you can use Slack, uh, Teams, doesn't matter what it is to perform a network function and just to really bring it to life. And we're at the bar and, you know, the customer was demoing it back to us on, on what we helped them with. And so it was just, that was like, the, you know, probably the coolest thing. It was a cool customer, great team. And just saying, hey, you know what? Didn't have to go, you know, back to the hotel, get the laptop open, connect the VPN. And while you make the change, it's literally, um, for, we're at the bar to kind of do the demo and you could be on a subway, could be anywhere. So I feel like that was one of the, you know, that was one, that was a, you know, a great, a great moment. And we're at a bar. So, you know, cheers, cheers, had a drink. And that was just a great, uh, you know, great time. Nice. <laughs> nice. I got one last leadership question for you. Sure. You're leaving that bar. Uh, you're sober. <laughs> you're driving, <laughs> you're driving, right? You're at a stoplight and Elon Musk hovercraft comes down next to you. Because he's got that new car, that new Tesla 2020 that's still not out. <laughs> but that one's a hovercraft now. And he's like, hey, buddy, come on over. I want to show you something. So you follow him. You're like, it's Elon Musk, of course. And he uh, takes you to his house and he's got a time machine. Now, in this time machine, you can go back to the moment you were deciding to start this business and give yourself one piece of advice. That's it. Just one. Just walk up to yourself. Boom. One. You get to say one thing. What would that be? That is a really good one. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think I'd probably go with is go with your gut. You know, stay true to your you know stay true to yourself, and you know stay stay on track for you know for the mission, right? And very maybe Elon Musk fashion is you got to be able to you know stay on that mission. And I think as businesses grow, you know decisions get harder. You know, problems obviously and, and issues can escalate escalate fast. And I think is is uh, you know don't forget sort of why. You know why you started this. You know why you started, and you know think about think about it often, even more than you know I have, and uh, take a step back and and maybe even uh, celebrate more. I would say personally, I don't. I'm very focused around problem solving and pointing out what could be better. And you know, looking back, maybe I would have you know make it made a, a more conscious effort earlier on to celebrate more wins along uh, along the way. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.